Let's open our Bibles to Galatians chapter 4 this morning. Now, in God's providence, two weeks ago, Wesley came into my office and said, hey, we're back in town, just wanted to talk, and so we're talking a little bit, and he says, yeah, the emphasis crew is really evangelism. And I thought, God, God just brought him in here, because that's the theme we've been working on. So I said, come talk about evangelism, and that's what they do. And, um, you know, it's, it's just sometimes we think, oh, boy, wasn't that lucky that that happened. Okay? But we don't believe in luck. Okay? We believe in God's providence. We believe that he orders things to his end. And in his providence, Wesley, you're here today. So this is perfect, okay? All right, Galatians chapter 4. If you're able, would you stand with me? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the opportunity uh, to be here today. And we know in your providence you've brought us here. You've ordered our lives that we might be here to hear these things to see you at work, to know your grace. We pray that our eyes would be opened by the power of the Holy Spirit to your word, that we would see the, what it cost. We would see the joy. We would know your hand in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to read from Galatians chapter 4, verses 12 through 20. Uh, Just so we have the context, our emphasis is on 19. So verse 12, Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. Though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For if I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me, have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for when... For whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone for I am perplexed about you. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. And you know, a few, uh, uh, six, seven, eight weeks ago, we were in that passage and, and laid out some of those things that perhaps Paul's having an issue with his eyes and uh, that's the, the reference there. But Verse 19 for today, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Now, um, uh, when our first daughter was born, Leah, we lived in a little town called Houston, and the hospital was St. Clair, it was in Pittsburgh, so it was about a 30 or 40 minute drive and uh, Judy awakens me at like 5 a.m., says, oh, it's time to go to the hospital. Because, uh, you know, dads, we, we're asleep and we don't know. Um, so we get in the car. And it was not a 40-minute drive to the hospital. It was like a 15-minute drive to the hospital. Because we're flying up 70 and 79 and dodging cars. And we get off. And we get there. And, and you know, you got to fill out all the paperwork and everything. You get up to the room. And then you, you kind of bide your time. There we are in the room. 
And from the hall, we heard the scream that would, well, it was better than any Halloween movie you, you ever seen, a slasher movie. That, and this was this blood-curdling scream from down the hall. And we, if we didn't, weren't sure before, we were sure at that moment that there was going to be pain involved in childbirth. <laughs> and, you know, it was all right for me. <laughs> so there's pain involved in childbirth. And that, that's clear from life. That's clear from, from Scripture. But there's also pain involved in the birth of a new believer. Okay, When you are a new creation in Christ, there is pain involved. There's the struggle against sin. You're leaving those things. You're putting off the old. You're putting on the new. It's the old self you have to leave behind. You've got to break free of the habits and the traits and all those things that have been in your life for the past 12, 15, 60 years, whatever it is, they have become ingrained in you, and the Lord calls you to leave those things behind. Those things from the old life, now is the time for the new. It's also a struggle for those who are telling others about Christ. For we face rejection, persecution maybe for our faith, alienation from our families and our friends because they know what we believe and, and we show up and, and, you know, heaven forbid that they open that door because we want to walk through it and let them know about Christ. And sometimes they just up and tell us to shut up. Okay, I don't want to hear that. I've heard enough of it. I don't want to hear it anymore. So sometimes you've got to change your tack and back up and say, okay, they're going to see it in my life. I'm not going to tell them about it until they reach a point in their life where they want to know what are the answers to these things. G.K. Chesterton said of the Christian faith, it's not that Christianity has been tried and found wanting, but that it's been found difficult and not tried. I believe it's the same thing with evangelism. Few topics in Christianity uh, are at the same time understood to be necessary, but yet often avoided. It's necessary for believers to share their faith. Why? Because that's the way God has ordained it. They will not hear, the non-believers will not hear, they will not know, their eyes will not be opened unless they hear the gospel of Christ. And who can tell them the gospel of Christ? The ones that already believe it. Okay? But so often we kind of punt, and we'll get to punting here in, in a moment. Um, but we have to understand that in spite of maybe our awkwardness, despite of our maybe unwillingness to go there, despite of our not having the right words, when the Lord shows up, the heart will be changed. Okay? And I, I, I can attest to that many times. I have been, as I've said, I have been pitiful many times. And the Lord does a great work. Okay? It does not... The presentation is our business. The changing of the heart is God's business. In his plan, he has chosen to use the likes of us to deliver this great message. Now, we've been talking a lot about building relationships, and Wesley hit on that. He said, you've got to, you know, get to know him, get to know him more, hear about what's going on, get to know him more, talk more, build those relationships. Um, and, and we, our job is, is to build relationships with people who may have been hurt by the church, who have never known anything about Jesus Christ before, who have rejected anything associated with faith, and, and to slowly introduce them with the love that we share with them and with the words of Jesus Christ. And sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's time-consuming to move someone from a stranger to a neighbor to family. That's what we're after. 
Now, the number one reason cited by people who gravitated to Christianity, okay, in, in surveys again and again, is because of a relationship with a believer. A relationship with a believer. Now, we, didn't, we don't have the, the evidence of how long that relationship took uh, to get to that point, but they became a Christian because of a relationship with a believer. Now, we know that they became a Christian because the Holy Spirit moved in their life, but it was the believer that cared about them, that loved them, that told them about it, and that process may have been two days, it may have been two years, it may have been 20 years, we don't know. Uh, but it's that relationship that they could put, they could hang in a sense, we put flesh on the message of the gospel. And we put imperfect flesh on that message, but it's flesh nonetheless. So developing relationships is even more significant in evangelism today because, again, often they come to Christ over a period of time. Now there was a time in, in the late 1800s, and we go back into the uh, even to the Great Awakening, the Second Great Awakening historically, and then the, the movement, the, the revival movement that came at the end, mm, probably the second half of the 1800s uh, through the Civil War into uh, the tent revivals into the 10s, 20s, and 30s of the 19th century. Uh, that was much more a way of people came to Christ that way. Well, we're finding more and more that those things are, are not the way a lot of people are coming to Christ anymore. Uh, many of us have been to Billy Graham Crusades or Franklin Graham Crusades, and we saw people move forward. They don't, just don't do many of those anymore. Again and again, we're finding it is more of a process to get them there. Now, the process is not salvation. The process is what we call prevenient grace. That is grace that goes before their eyes are opened by the Holy Spirit to the gospel of Christ, and their lives are changed. So we can walk alongside somebody, be in relationship with somebody, move them along the path of salvation for quite a long time, moving them, for, again, from stranger to neighbor to family. But sooner or later, there will be that time when their eyes are open. They will believe. They will profess faith. It is not just an osmosis pro process. It is, sooner or later... They will believe in their heart and they will profess with their mouth that Christ is Lord. So, uh, and, and sometimes, I want to say sometimes, it seems easy. But often it is costly. It can be difficult. It can be personally costly to us. It, and beyond our time and energy, sometimes it includes anxiety it may involve conflict. It may involve sacrifice on our part. It may mean going out of our way, going the second mile, but birthing is not an easy process. Now, um, because she's not here, I'll use her as an illustration. Diana Dowdy was at a new wineskins event that we had. Now, this would have been quite a while ago before we joined the EPC. And she was asked to speak as a midwife. And she got up and equated what was happening with this new entity to the birthing of a child. And I want to tell you, she was so good. And she said, you know, because sometimes you have to tell the mother, it's going to be okay. It's going to take time. Yes, this is going to hurt. But the joy at the end of the process will be great. And I want to tell you, they were, they were crying out there when she was done. It was so good. It was so good. Um, but, you know, 
We have it. They need it. God has told us to tell them about it. And the church has to be willing to sacrifice. We have to be willing to pay the price that they would hear the gospel, that all the world would hear the gospel, that that person across the fence would hear the gospel. Okay? We must be willing to pay the price, but the rewards are enormous. Okay? That little girl we brought home was way more, worth way more than the pain that Judy went through. Okay? I'm sorry, I didn't, do, I didn't go through it. And we have to look at evangelism as an investment. We don't do cost analysis on evangelism. It's an investment. Now, we just worked on the budget this week at session meeting. Almost 20% of our budget is going to go to mission work, which is, is a target we have been after for a while. Okay, 20%. And that doesn't count what everybody gives above and beyond to, oh, yeah, well, Wesley, you know, he's great. I'm going to give him something extra, okay, something like that. 21% of that mission budget goes to church planting. goes to church planting. Next week, Tom Ricks, who is the head of church planting for our denomination, is going to be here, and he's going to speak. And I'm very excited about Tom. He is a great guy. They planted five or six churches out of his church up in the St. Louis area before they even had their own building. I want you to think that. 17 years, they met in gymnasiums and schools and auditoriums, and they planted five or six churches during that time. Tom's very good at this. It'd be very exciting to hear him. So I've not found any way yet to make all, take all the difficulty or all the expense out of evangelism. Sometimes it puts a knot in our stomach. Uh, sometimes it causes us anxiety, even though we're talking about someone we love. Remember that. We love the Lord. We ought to be ready to talk to him, to anybody, okay? Any chance we get. Let me tell you about the person I love the most. You, you remember that from last week. Sometimes the burden in evangelism is for somebody we know who's outside of Christ. And, and we have tried, and then we have tried this way, and then we have tried this way, and we're not making any progress. And we lay awake at night going, Lord, what are you going to do in their life? I, can't, I, I've been trying. Can't you do something? Can't you, you know, open their hearts? Sometimes we have to find the balance in evangelism between loving them, Confronting them, coddling them, pushing them. Sometimes that process may take years of repeated work and patience. And sometimes that's all that we can do is to be patient. Other times we don't get so patient and we're pushing and pushing and we almost alienate them. Sometimes we do alienate them. Relationships have been severed severed because we've shared our faith. And I don't mean we've done it in a pushy way. Remember, it is not we who are offensive. The gospel is offensive on its own. Darkness hates the light. According to a recent Barna study, a majority of U.S. adults, 60% of U.S. adults, and the vast majority of non-religious adults, 83%, believe evangelism is equated with religious extremism. Got that religious extremism. Let me tell you how you can avoid eternity of punishment. How you can live the life that you were created for. How you can walk in God's will and know his blessing. That's religious extremism to a large portion of the population. Now sometimes there is 
Evangelism involves broken relationships, alienation. I'd rather that not be the case, but sometimes that is. And I can tell you from my experience, some of the people that I have shared Christ with who were the, the most... Uh, the most angriest, that's not quite the right word, um, uh, who, who rejected it in the most um, uh, strongest way, they did so because they knew it was true, and that message of Christ was going to cause them to change their life. It was going to cause them to leave what the things that they loved of this world. It was going to cause them to put aside their own selfish wills, and they didn't want to do that. And the way to respond to that was to lash out and to be angry at both the message and the messenger. I just quote once again from Sproul, and, and you heard this a couple weeks ago when he was talking to the college atheist. R.C. Sproul said, I am persuaded that you already know very well that there is a God. Your problem is not that you don't know that God exists. Your problem is that you hate the God that you know exists. That's true. They know he exists. They just don't like him. It's one of the costs of evangelism. Our own heartaches. Our own pain um, for those who do not believe. Whether they be our children, our parents, our close friends, or people we've invested with over the years and the years. So what does it take to share the gospel? Well, talking about the one we love the most. But we also have to look at the way things go in our lives and the way people look at us. Quote from Charles Spurgeon. Reckon then that to acquire soul-winning power, you will have to go through mental torment and soul distress. You must go into the fire if you're going to pull others out of it. You will have to dive into the floods if you are going to draw others out of the water. Sometimes the painful experiences of our lives are the very things that open the door to the message of Christ. They see how we respond. They see how we have suffered and how we have come out of that and how we interacted in the midst of it. Paul was beaten, thrown into jail, he and Paul and Silas together. But the result of that was that the Philippian jailer and his whole family came to Christ. Was it worth it? Well, you bet it was. We'll flip over a couple pages to Colossians chapter 1. One aspect, I think, of what we need to remember is the power of our suffering and what the Lord does with that. In fact, your suffering may not be for you. It may be for others, so that others can see Christ in you in the midst of your suffering in the midst of how people have let you down, in the midst of your physical suffering, in the midst of whatever it is, can they see Christ in you while you go through that? Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Paul's writing to the church of Colossae. He says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Now that's kind of odd. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body that is the church. Now, 
when Paul writes this, as we read it, it seems like there was something lacking in Christ's afflictions. But, of course, there was nothing lacking. The payment was in full. So what is Paul talking about here? Paul is saying, the thing that you lack is that you didn't see Christ's afflictions in the flesh. Okay? Because this, this church came to, to be planted. None of the people in that church knew about Christ. They, they only heard the message. They didn't see him. They didn't know his afflictions. And what Paul is saying, that because Christ can't physically be there and you see his afflictions, you're seeing my afflictions in place of that. Okay? You're seeing that the, the church could not witness the sufferings of Christ in person. Paul's sufferings are therefore making up for that. You're seeing Christ's sufferings lived out in my sufferings. This means that Paul's suffering was what? It was evangelistic. Now, that is not usually something we think about in the midst of our pain and our trial and our suffering. We're trying to think about, how can I get out of this? I don't want to spend too much time here. I mean, such, such is our nature. But here Paul understood he was suffering these trials so that they could see Christ, so that Christ would be formed in them. Now that doesn't lessen the pain we're going to go through, okay? Doesn't let, didn't lessen his afflictions, but they were not without purpose. They were evangelistic in nature. They constitute an important part of Paul's ministry. We might even say that that it was a ministry of Paul to everybody else to be afflicted. It was a privilege entrusted to Paul so that others might know of Christ. So when you and I face difficulty, how do we face it? Maybe our suffering is evangelistic. And we, we may never know that. Okay, You may never know what, what your suffering and how you face it and how you go through it means to somebody else. And I, I could tell you many people in my life who have taught me much about Christ that I never understood by their suffering. Paul goes so far in Romans chapter 9 to say, I wish I myself could be accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of of the rest of the Jews. Paul says, I'm willing to fight, face eternal damnation if the Jews would be saved. We did, uh, I think one time ago on the dinner table, we did a series called Christianity Explored by Rico Tice, an English pastor, if you remember that. He's got a book, it's called Honest Evangelism. And he uses this concept and this phrase It's called the pain line. The pain line. That's the point in an evangelistic conversation when the offense of the gospel is made plain. It's also the point where the presenter is most likely to punt because they don't want to face the pain that's involved in presenting the gospel. Conversations about spirituality or the concept of the existence of God only become evangelistic when we cross the pain line and go to that point and say, what do you believe about Jesus Christ? It's at that point that each believer makes the decision. I'm going to go and talk about Christ, and I'm going to talk about the gospel, or I'm going to stick with generalities and talk about spiritual things. 
my days in Youth for Christ, we, we wanted to get to the pain line. We called it turning the corner. Okay, working with teenagers, we wanted to get to that point where we turn the corner from a regular conversation into a spiritual conversation. We had uh, the pizza talk, okay, because Pizza Hut was everything in Western Pennsylvania at that time, and we take the kids to Pizza Hut. And, you know, you've got the pan over here, and you've got the plate over here, and, and here is uh, mankind, and here is God, and there's no way to get across. And you put the, the knife down, and, and there's the way, Christ. And you put the other knife, and you're there, okay? Well, the kids loved it. I mean, I had kids come to me years later and go, I wish I'd, I had that pizza talk memorized, okay? Could you do that to me again? We, uh, you know, we had that. We had quarters. I never got the quarters, but somebody had a presentation with quarters, but we wanted to get to that point where we stopped talking about football and started talking about Jesus. That was our purpose. Now, not everybody's that comfortable with that. For most believers, that's the pain line. Am I willing to face the discomfort of what may happen in a gospel conversation? I may get rejected. I may get made fun of to hopefully get the joy of what God may do. Change their life forever. So we have to acknowledge the difficulty that we're going to face in sharing our faith. Jesus said, I'm sending you out as what? As sheep among wolves. What do wolves do to sheep? They eat them. Okay? What's the only defense that the sheep have? The shepherd. The shepherd. Rico Tice says there's three things that we need to be convinced of then we're going to be far less likely to be afraid. God's sovereignty. God, and think about this for a moment. God has ordained that you will live where you are living. Why? Because he wants a Christian in that neighborhood. God has ordained that you are going to work where you're working. And you're thinking, no, Rand, I bought that house because it's location, location, location. It's a good school district. You know, it had four bedrooms. It had five bathrooms. You know, it had everything. I said, no. God may have used that secondary cause, but in his plan, he wants you to be the light of Christ where you live. He wants you to be the light of Christ in that vocation. The sovereignty of God. Second, we have to be convinced of God's graciousness. Now, we are, if we understand our sin because of just the wonderful work that God has done in our lives. We don't deserve this salvation. He gives it to us. Um, You know, it's kind of, um, I've been places and I've looked around and I have jokingly said, there's a lot of the non-elect here today, you know, but that's my humanness. We don't know. When we share the gospel, we, we might see the toughest individual. We might see the individual who is the, the least likely in our minds, just, just their heart melt to the things of Christ. God's graciousness. No matter how we see others, we're set apart that we might present the gospel to them. Number three, God is powerful. I don't have to say the right words. I don't have to have all the answers. I don't need to be a skilled orator. I do need to share what I know to be true. 
He will change the heart. When we are convinced of that, I fear no man, okay? Uh, Let me tell you about the person I love the most. It should be easy because he will change the heart. I just present the message. Is there a cost for us? Yeah. Is it too much to bear? Nah. Because the Lord of all the earth has entrusted to us this message of reconciliation, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's pray. Lord, you made it clear to us it is your responsibility and only yours because you are the only one that can do it to change a heart. It is our responsibility to testify to that fact, to tell others what you've done in our lives, to tell others of your graciousness, of of what it means to be in relationship with you, And we tell them through caring for them. We tell them through loving them. We tell them through building up that relationship, moving them from stranger to neighbor to family. But you will do the work to change their lives. But we have the great opportunity to be involved in that. Our proclamation of the truth is the means to which you achieve your end, the salvation of their souls. Lord, let us not be afraid. Fix in our hearts those that we need to tell about the person we love the most and that we might do it with an easiness and a joy. We might do it with compassion. We might do it with great confidence in your work that we would not in our person be offensive to anyone that we, as far as possible, would live in peace with all men. But know that if they hate us, it's because they've hated Christ first. But yet, Lord, you can do more than we've ever dreamed or imagined. You just call us to declare that truth. So, Lord, we look for opportunities to do this. Do this in our neighbors, with our neighbors, in our own families, Those people that that cross our path unexpectedly, that we would not be shy, that we would not freeze, but we would trust in you and tell them about the person we love. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.